Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today in the show, we're going to look at what happened when an organization attempted to begin uh, what was very well-intentioned, which was uh, beginning a program to help do some construction training and teaching for kids in their community and quickly realized they were in over their heads. Uh, and so we will talk with Service Over Self staff, Philip Walkley and Ali Vilderman, and they're going to talk about what happened when they began their program uh, and what they've learned since about trauma and the brain, um, advice they would give to people who are beginning that similar journey. Um, and if you are a parent listening to this, this would be a great episode for you to tune into um, to help get some perspective for how uh, Philip and Allie both advocated for uh, the organization and the kids as they were coming into the um, into the programs there, but also how they integrated what was happening in their programs and the training and the learning they were doing about the brain into how they interacted with their staff. So oftentimes as parents, it's uh, very easy for us to get wrapped up into uh, we are going to do this level of care and this line of thinking and these um, have this empathy and compassion for our kids and sometimes with each other we forget. So a great reminder for for us today that uh, the staff at SOS became a trauma-informed staff. Their programs became trauma-informed programs and um, the results were really beautiful. You're going to love Philip and Allie. They were super fun to talk to you. And so uh, we're going to have a quick advertisement from our friends at Ryan and Rose and then we will jump into the episode. We're here in Memphis, Tennessee at Ryan and Rose World Headquarters with Lindsay Farrell. Lindsay, uh, thank you for being here. Lindsay's the CEO and founder of Ryan and Rose. Um, they make incredible, incredible products for um, everybody in your family. And so, Lindsay, if you don't mind, will you just share kind of who you guys are and, and about the products you make? Sure. So we are a family-owned business. We actually started out of our house and recently moved to headquarters, which is now in Bartlett, Tennessee. But we have grown this business just out of the need of something for our family, giving it all to Jesus, praying about every aspect. Um, We sell items for the whole family. We started with pacifiers and pacifier clips, um, but have kind of grown into a a brand for the family. Universal cup holders, Jesus bracelets. Me and my husband even wrote a book teaching parents and kids how to pray. So it's just really cool to see where the Lord's taken Ryan and Rose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and for those of you who don't know, Ryan and Rose have been massive supporters of everything we do at Empowered to Connect. And so uh, obviously, you know, made perfect sense for our first advertisers to be Ryan and Rose. And so um, I would just say as somebody who has four kids and we have had Ryan and Rose everything all the way, um, it is not just it's it aesthetically pleasing, but also just like it holds up. Like this stuff just lasts. And so if you are looking for gifts for new babies that you know in your life or uh, stuff for your whole family, head to ryanandrose.co. And you guys actually have given our listeners an exclusive discount, right? Yes, we would love to give you guys a 20% off exclusive coupon, ETC20, for 20% off, one per customer. So head to ryanandrose.co. And the the link is in the show notes below. You can find it on social media. Um, You can follow them at ryanandrose on Instagram and everywhere else that social stuff is done online. Um, so head to ryanandrose.co and use code ETC20 today to save 20% off your order, which is massive. So thank you so much, Lindsay. Thank you all. 
All right, well, as I mentioned in the opening, we've got Philip Walkley and Allie Vilderman from Service Over Self, which is an organization in Memphis, Tennessee, with us today. Um, and I would just encourage you today, as we, as we talk about this, um, you might not know roofing intimately as a person. You might not uh, know the Memphis community intimately, but um, the principles and the things that are happening uh, organizationally at uh, SOS are um, really important, I believe, for both us as parents and just community-wise for us to take note of. And so we wanted to have them on today and, um, and talk with them. So guys, thanks for, for being here, first of all. And why don't we, Philip, if, if we could start with this on your front, um, why don't you explain for people who might not know who you are, like the, the context y'all work in and what you do as an organization? Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for having us. Uh, we are excited to, to be here with you today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Service over self. So JD, you mentioned roofing in your uh, intro there. Uh, SOS started, gosh, like 35 years ago now, 36 years ago, 1986, uh, essentially is like a short-term mission service organization in Memphis repairing homes, right? And so we, we did a whole lot of roof replacements, still do. Um, and so the basic model was kids with church youth groups from all over the country would come spend a week with us and we would uh, work in um, a couple of marginalized communities here in Memphis and provide free home repair for homeowners there. That grew and grew. And in the last probably 15 or so years, uh, some of our focus has shifted away from that. We're still doing that work, uh, hosting groups in the spring and summer, um, but we've started to pay a lot more attention to the the families and the youth in the communities we serve as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we we work exclusively in a in a couple of um, kind of lower income marginalized communities in Memphis, and um, as we as we were there repairing homes, we would get feedback from the community that said, "Hey, we love the work you're doing. Um, how can we get our own kids more involved?" Right, um, yeah. and so. Yeah. Through that, um, we started finding opportunities to connect with youth in the communities we served and not just people coming in from the outside. And um, so early on, that looked like hiring some high school students from the neighborhood to work uh, during our summer camps and kind of help us out uh, with that. Um, and then eventually it's grown to where, gosh, eight or so years ago now, we we launched an after-school construction training program for youth in the community. And so uh, we work with kids uh, from one of our partner neighborhoods. And um, a lot of these kids uh, have uh, in- incredible potential, incredible gifts, but also have had some incredible hardships that no fault of their own were, were uh, you know, part of their life. And those kind of things can cause challenges and trauma that make, uh, make life really hard. And so uh, as, as we worked more and more with students from the community for our summer program and our after-school program, we just began to realize that um, we needed to, to do a, learn more about how we could care for these kids and love them well. And um, so I know we're going to talk more about that later, but that's, that's kind of where we are now. We, we still do a lot of, it's all kind of based around critical home repair, um, roof replacements with volunteers and with youth from the neighborhood, but have expanded that to do some, some training and construction work with kids in the community as well. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, Ali, we met um, as Philip mentioned eight years ago when um, I was actually working in the community with kids, and you were you and I were talking about uh, the potential for this program of doing construction training. And um, in the conversations of community work, obviously, when you're looking at uh, systems and um, the way that uh, at times um, it can be 
seemingly impossible for kids to, to work their way out of the systems they get kind of stuck in um, or stuck under um, as kids, this begins to be a skill set and a knowledge that provides upward mobility in an incredible way. Um, and so I know we were all really excited about it, and the, the program has grown and been awesome over the couple of years. Um, but you've also mentioned before kind of your knowledge of trauma and the brain and how it changed the way that you guys looked at this program. So why don't, if you don't mind kind of talking from that standpoint, like how, as you've learned more about trauma in the brain and, and how it affects um, kids who've experienced, you know, early adversity, stress, trauma, all that, how has that shifted how you guys approach your work? It's shifted everything. It has shifted um, the big picture in the smallest details of our programming. It has slowed us, slowed our role a little bit, um, given us space to be um, calm and respond to the needs of students to see them and to see what their output is, but then have the tools to be able to think through with them or even for them. You need help regulating something. Something is amiss. You don't have something that you need right now. And that might be a snack. That might be water. That might be two minutes where you just need to remember how to breathe or something like that. Yeah. So it's, it's given us this toolkit to be able to see them better, see them truer. I think it's definitely grown our compassion for them, our empathy for them. Um, it's given us patience. It's made us smarter in how we can work together. Um, I think it's changed us personally, Mm. um, as this staff team that leads them, that empathy and compassion that we wanted to be able to show them. We've realized that it is a beautiful gift to give to ourselves, to give to, to give to each other. Um, And then programmatically, it has spoken into our rhythms, the things that we value, like consistency and um, building trust, um, the relationships, those things have all been impacted by realizing that if there's trauma that has impacted their sweet brains, like we can be smart about how we help them navigate that. Well, I, I kind of feel like we can just stop the interview right now and just, <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, that's, that, that is incredible. And I think for those of us who are, who, who are in this work or who have experienced this before, like, you know, we just nod along as you talk, Allie, because that, that is, those are the natural outcomes as we learn this, this material. And I guess, you know, Philip, have you noticed that from an executive director space, like obviously you're not as hands-on day-to-day with the kids in the program, but have you noticed that kind of bleeding into your you know, in your view among staff and just the way that you guys operate? Yeah. Um, well, and you know, some of my context too, is that several years ago before SOS ever engaged with this type of training and work, my family or my wife and I went through, uh, a, some, some training with, uh, MFCC at the time, um, learning, learning about this kind of trauma informed, uh, care and, and relation building, uh, for our own kids. And, um, so that was pretty paradigm shifting for me as a parent. Um, and, but it's funny, it didn't, it didn't translate naturally when we started having this after school program at first. And in fact, I, I can't remember if I connected Allie with you guys or she found, but whatever, for whatever reason, we started doing some training with you guys. And, um, and so, I began to notice shifts in some of the way that our after-school program was done, 
And even though like I knew the principles, there was a, there there were a handful of times where I found myself thinking like, why are we doing this? Like this this feels weird. <laughs> and 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 then you know like having to like realize, oh wait, there, like there's purpose in this. And so so yeah, I think it, it's given me it's given me a new vision of what success looks like for the programs we have where we work with youth in these communities. It's giving it's given me which then informs the way we're able to. Right. Um, talk about this as a staff. And I think, yeah, I mean, for me, a huge, I think something that's so important here for us is like, is the language that we use mm-hmm. in talking about kids and even adults that we work with or that we serve. And, you know, before we ever focused more on youth in the community, we thought hard about how we talked about the homeowners in these communities that we yeah. would partner with. And, yeah. and just how, even though, you know, we, we may say we believe one thing or value one thing. If, if you speak and use words in such a way that, uh, go against that, like eventually it shapes your thinking. And so I say all of that to say like, yeah, yeah, even the way that we talk about these kids as a staff and discuss approaches to loving on them and caring for them and things like that, it, uh, you know, problem solve when we see issues that we need to deal with, it's really changed, I think, the conversation and the culture around that with our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and and it's funny, in a lot of ways, sometimes I feel a little bit like an oddball, not me, but our organization. I think when I, when I think about, when I see other organizations working with youth, sometimes I wonder, like, are they, are they thinking about the same things? Are they doing the same things? And, yeah. you know, we, not to, you know, I'm sure there are plenty that are doing wonderful work that we could learn a ton from, but it also, in yeah. some ways... I don't feel like I see a lot of this approach in organizations working with youth with challenging backgrounds or circumstances. And so sometimes that can feel a little isolating because it's like, are we, you know, are we doing this right? It doesn't, you know, um, but, but it feels, but again, like we see the value in it and we know um, how powerful it is. And, and even, I mean, that's even informed. I think even when I think about part of my role here is, talking with funders and donors and supporters and things like that. And I think there's probably a lot of people in those circles that, that don't really, that haven't had the type of training or understanding that, that we do with this as well. So even sometimes from an outsider looking in, I'm sharing what we do and it feels like I'm getting stared at like, why are you, you know, why does y'all could do this and that and that I'm like, well, yeah, but we're doing this on purpose, right? We're keeping it small on purpose. We're making these choices on purpose. We're, um, and, and so, so it's it's been good and it's taken a while to get used to but but yes I would definitely say like the culture of our organization from staff level down and 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 you know even out into the community and those that are partnered with us has has shifted because of this so yeah. in in good ways Allie, you know obviously one of the the core tenets of of trauma informed care is providing felt safety right and so um having worked in the same neighborhood that you guys are working in and having lived in that same neighborhood um one of the things I think about all the time, uh, especially when it comes to physical safety versus felt safety, um, both both are obviously important. Um, physical safety is at times a major issue for the kids that you guys are working with um, and how they're getting back and forth from place to place and how they're operating and um, maybe what an environment is like um, past a certain time of night or past a certain time of the year, right? So in that environment, there's a lot, a lot of variables that come into play when creating felt safety. So what, what are some of the ways that you guys have, have tried to create felt safety within 
the organization with the kids, and then maybe even thinking about among staff. I mean, Philip, you touched about you touched on the the idea of like it can feel a little bit like we're a fish out of water doing this. How do you guys then create fellow safety amongst your staff to have these conversations? So, Ali, if you'll answer first um, about the kids, and Philip about the staff. We want them to come to this campus and just to know they are safe here. And so a few ways that we try and reinforce that is first that we we speak it to them. We say, you belong here. You have ownership here. We trust your authority in this place. We trust you in this place. And we enjoy you. We like you. We're proud of you. We're with you. Um, speaking that to them feels kind of silly at the, at the one-off, but you, you see them hold it. And I think that is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, we also care a lot about rhythms. It seems a little young maybe, but even for these high schoolers to know exactly what happened in exactly what yeah. order so that they, they can predict, they can see that we are consistent. It is steady. Everything is as it should be in this place. Um, and then in our relationships, um, Philip was mentioning the ways that we limit the scope of the program. One of those is um, its capacity. We keep it purposely small so that our full-time staff ratio to students is where we want it to be. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of space and ability for us to read them one-on-one or one staff with two youth um, so that we can see if something's off. If, if something isn't clicking that day and we can, we can address it and we can say, we're here to help you. What do you need? Are you okay today? All those things. Um, so both, both like a culture and an environment, I hope speaks that safety to them. Um, and then we, we see them grow in this place. And so we see them telling themselves, like, I know what I'm doing here. I belong here. They're yeah. proud of me. I know how to do what we need to do here. And I think that can help reinforce it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's spot on there, Allie, for sure. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think of a couple of conversations I've had. So I'm thinking now kind of more at like our staff level, like how to, you know, how does it inform what we do? I mean, in some ways, it's been so helpful because to, it gives me a crutch is the wrong word, but it like gives me something to point back to. So when a staff member, when an issue comes up and um, Allie has really kind of run point on this after school program, she's the one who created it and has led it really all these years. And so when she, when another one of our staff asks to do something or says, Hey, let's do this, or they do something different. And Allie says, you know, Hey, I don't, you know, I don't think we should do that. And then they're asking me what, you know, why are we doing? And I just like, I'm saying, look, it may not make sense, but this, like the training that we've received is, is tested, is proven, it works. And even if it feels awkward, like we're going to, we're going to trust that. And that's why we're doing X, Y, or Z, or that's why we can't do X, you know, A, B, or C. And so that's been really helpful, I think, because it hasn't just been like, an arbitrary thing that one of our staff members knows about and does, but we've had all, you know, all of our staff have on multiple occasions received this kind of training and and gone through this. So even if, even if there are some who are quicker or slower to adopt maybe, um, or who come from a different perspective than others, um, it, 
it's still familiar enough and, and, and we believe in it enough that like we can go back to that and trust the process. Um, and so that's been really helpful for me to just have that where it's not like, this is not my opinion. This is not Allie's opinion. This is like, Hey, we are committed to taking what we have learned and implementing it at kind of every level. And so because of that, like I get to point back to that over and over again. Well, yeah, I think too, the, 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 the crutch you're talking about is is great to have. To be able to say, you know, if somebody comes up with their idea, which genuinely is just going to be formed almost always by their own traditions, their own past, their own history, and just their gut reaction to a situation happening. And you can say, look, here are, you know, 30 years of scientific neuroscientific research that back up and show outcomes in other areas like this with this. And so I think it, it helps you guys to hold a hard line at first. And then, I mean, I know at least in some of the personal conversations I've had with staff who have been a part of this, that by the end of the program, there's these big light bulb moments and like, oh, 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 now I see why we do this this way, you know? And I think in a, in a culture where everything is, um, is so tilted toward quick success and quick, um, you know, measurable outcomes that, that just blow everyone away in huge numbers. Uh, the, what we're starting to see now as the pandemic lifts and as, as just, we have better access to data is that these, uh, the outcomes that are, that are most sustainable over a long period of time are where there are steady trusting relationships built under the foundation of everybody being on the same page an organization holding the line with these standards to where, you know, like you were saying, Philip, everyone might not walk the same road to begin with, but if the organization can hold those standards, it will be shown over time uh, to be successful. Yeah. And Well, and like you were just talking about this kind of culture of quick fix and what, you know, things like that. I mean, an example jumps out right away of just recently we had an incident where we had uh, one of our students that there was a little bit of some concerning behavior um, and the temptation for, you know, some of our staff was to like respond right then and deal with it right then. And totally. so I kind of said, Hey, we should talk about this. Now is not a good time because they're not calm and they're in front of their peers. Mm-hmm. So we like, this is not life threatening or a serious danger to themselves or anyone else. So like, let's wait until they cool down. Let's talk to them in private the next time we're with them. And, 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 and anyway, so, I mean, things like that, again, it's like, Totally. Normally we want to just say, Hey, we got to do this right. Hey, stop that right now. Or, Hey, what do you, right. what do you mean when you did this or said this? And it's like, no, we, because we have at least somewhat of an understanding of where behavior could be coming from or knowing that it's like rooted in something else, yeah. we can give time for them to calm down for us to approach it rationally as well. Um, and that I think has really been fruitful in building that trust, right? When, when people aren't like called out or, whatever in front of other people are right away. But we, when we can calmly speak with them, when they're in a healthier spot mentally and emotionally, um, I think it only further builds that trust and allows them to receive a conversation like that, feeling loved and cared for and not scolded or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Allie, would you agree? Hugely. Um, we have some upperclassmen that we've known since they were sixth graders and yeah. at least once a year, they kind of put us on notice and they have this big reaction to something and they look to us of like, is this going to be when they finally stop loving me? Mm. Is this where they're going to say, you're not a part of us anymore. 
Mm. And this has given us a curriculum, a vocabulary, a toolkit to say, whoa, 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 me, Allie, the adult in this situation, they're, they're throwing things at me that I don't think they mean to, but something is going on. And Allie use this to, to see what's actually behind their words, behind their behavior. And with just like, stay cool, stay calm. We've, we've found solutions every time, but at least once a year, these students (laughs) each in, in turn, put us on notice and just put us in this place where I think they test us to see like, can I ruin this or can I break this relationship? Can I, can I make them so angry that this is where they'll stop loving me? Yeah. And this has taught us how to make it through those moments because they're still with us. I mean, I, yeah. Number one, if it's only happening once a year, you guys are leading the nation. Like the, <laughs> those tests come. I mean, I feel like in our house, those tests come daily. I got, I got put on notice this morning about <laughs> six forty-five a.m. I was not ready for that test yet. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. As I'm sitting here sharing about how I coached our staff to respond, I'm like. I need to coach myself to respond to my own kids this way. I'm not doing this at home. Like what's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, I think that, I think that is so true that, that and, and I think about Mo Ottinger, who's our executive director, um, had a line. I was asking him, you know, at one point we were talking about parenting teenagers and just getting into that hormonal, just sort of um, explosive stage of, of development. And he just said, look, I just tell you one thing and one thing only don't take it personal. Don't make it personal. And mm-hmm. He was like, mm-hmm. you know, it, they're, they're going to calm down and apologize, but you're, you're the one that gets to control your behavior in the moment so that you aren't having to match that apology with, well, and I shouldn't have, you know, whatever, threatened to throw you out the window or whatever. And so, uh, and so I do th- I think about that all the time. And, and that is one of the great benefits here is if you, can, if you can have that superpower of remembering in the moment, like this is just coming out of survival brain. This is not coming out of, you know, a true deep place of relationship. Um, it does help you to to sustain those those little storms. Um, I think, guys, in closing, one of the things I wanted to ask y'all: what what advice do you have for other organizations might be doing work with a similar population, or um, or just working with kids in general, where um, you are trying to build relationships over a long period of time? Mm. Well, I would say that the fruit <laughs> is sporadic, but it is very very sweet. And sometimes it comes from an 18-year-old kid letting their armor down for a second and saying, I love you, or I trust you, or inviting you into really sacred spaces. And um, to, to have this to help explain what they have to push through to get to that place of like felt safety, of relational intimacy appropriately... Um, that's worth it. That's worth it. That is worth every put on notice, every blow up, all those other things, because yeah, the fruit is really sweet. You cannot plan on it. You do not know when it will show up, (laughs) but you know it when you see it and it is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that like my expectations as to what that fruit will look like have changed. Right. I think, um, I think it can be so easy for like well-meaning people who care about charity or philanthropy or helping people. It can be so easy to define success when, when they're working with 
particularly youth who have experienced a lot of trauma, which often is connected to coming from a place of marginalization or lower socioeconomic status. And they can equate success with when this kid's life looks more like my life, right? When this kid is a solidly middle-class working adult with a intact family owning their home and blah, 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 you know, and not that those are bad things at all, but have just learned, like Ali said, to what, what, like, knowing what fruit to look for and, mm-hmm. and, and enjoying its sweetness, even if it looks really different. And I think, you know, SOS, we're a, we're a Christian organization. We come from a faith-based background. I know a lot of people using this training don't. And one of the, the books that we've read that's been really helpful with us, it, the title of the book is called Becoming Whole. And it just talks about that, that again, whether you're faith-based or not, it just this idea of success is not just that someone who may be at a lower socioeconomic status has more money and things, but that really all of us should be taking steps toward becoming whole, which doesn't mean having more money and more stuff or more financial stability. Becoming whole means being a like a, a real human who's able to be in relationship with others and share how we feel and connect on deep and intimate ways. And it's like when when that becomes the fruit you look for, then you know a lot of the kids we work with, they may never go to college. They may have some challenges as adults similar to what they have now, but but that doesn't mean that the work we have done is not fruitful and that they are not experiencing right. real and beautiful life in ways that maybe we wouldn't have thought, but maybe we, you know, would never have experienced ourselves, but still can be really powerful and beautiful. So yeah. that's been really helpful for me as someone who's lived in this neighborhood, done this work for, you know, 15 plus years of my life, the, the shift on what the success looks like, what the fruit looks like has changed. And in some ways it's the result of some of this, this training and understanding about just yeah. relationships and trauma in the brain and what that looks like. So and I just think about, you know, the kids who are get, having modeled for them right now, like a securely attached relationship with an, another adult, right? Like having modeled right now, conflict resolution, having modeled right now, um, you know, uh, learning how to, calm down for a minute, having some tools in their own tool belt for emotional regulation. And that idea of becoming whole sometimes means that, you know, maybe you're still living in, in an area that's, that's defined as being in poverty when you grow up. And also your kids might be more emotionally whole than the previous generation was because you know what it looks like to show them that because you've now experienced it. And so, um, guys, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, for people who want to find you online and, and follow along with y'all's work, how can they find you guys? Yeah, um, sosmemphis.org or pretty much most social media channels at SOS Memphis. Uh, you can find us uh, and learn more. And yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank Thanks. you. Well, thanks a bunch to Philip and to Allie for joining us today and just uh, love the story of how as they began to um, incorporate trauma-informed care into their youth programs, it it definitely grew and um, bled throughout the entire organization, even as, as Philip shared, kind of affected how their family um, was also able to uh, grow as a result of this. And so a huge thank you to them. If you want to learn more about what um, it's happening there. You can find them on um, all the social media platforms at SOS Memphis. And uh, again, a big thank you to them. They're doing great, great work. Go check them out. That's all for us for this week. Next week, we're going to jump into trauma-informed parenting, which 
trick topic, as you know, that is our regular gig here at ETC. And so uh, I return to trauma-informed parenting, and we're going to talk about that um, with some special guests next week. And so as we head back into the parenting realm, just thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Uh, make sure to head over to ryanandrose.co and use that special promo code ETC20 for a 20% discount off your order. Again, ryanandrose.co and the code ETC20. Uh, a huge thank you to all of uh, them, all of our supporters, all of you guys, our listeners. Um, really, really grateful. So for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, and Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empower to Connect podcast, and for the entire team here at ETC, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empower to Connect podcast. Mm-hmm.